grab that chair for me. There we go. Uh, dude, I don't know about this. It'll be fine. Just saying. Yes, it's gonna be fine. Just saying. Hun? Yeah. Boss, it broke. I got this. What? See, I told you it'd be fine. Just saying. Yeah, let's do this. Do you need some lighter fluid or anything? No, man, I got this. when you say, I got this, right? Explosions. Hey, welcome to church today. We're glad that you're with us uh, on this Sunday morning. My name is Brian, and I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, let's welcome everybody who's with us online as well. We're glad that you're with us this morning. Uh, we have an expanded ACF community that's out online, and so encourage you, if, uh, if you have a Facebook app on your, on your phone, open that up and share this, this with your friends. There's a live feed going on, and so it's just a great way for people to check out church from a distance who can't be here, uh, or maybe are uncomfortable with being at church, and so it's a great way for them to be a part of this. So uh, if you're new, we're glad that you're with us today. We're starting a new series of talks uh, called Just Saying. And uh, I don't know about you, but I hear this often in my life. And kind of this idea of just saying is that uh, many times we have to learn the hard way. And I remember my dad saying to me, son, why do you always have to learn the hard way? And I, I just, I feel like that's how I work. Many of you maybe are the same, where people in your life have tried to mentor you or guide you or help you uh, to keep you from a certain amount of pain or to help you excel at something. And you have chosen to resist that. And because of that, um, they've ended up in a just saying moment, right? Where whether they say it or not, they've got that look on their face like I told you so. Um, I tried to speak life into you. I tried to give you the truth, and you resisted and had to learn the hard way. And I would say that this is true for most of us. And what we're going to be for the next really couple months, this is going to lead us into the end of summer, this series, uh, is going through the book of First John. And so if you are somebody here today who maybe wants to read the Bible but doesn't read the Bible very often, I want to encourage you, don't just do the whole close your eyes and open it up to a book and, you know, put your finger down. It just, it's always something weird. So don't do that. Um, read intentionally. And for the next couple months, would you just open up to 1 John and you could read through it once a week. And if you're like me, I need repetition in my life. I need to hear things over and over again so that they actually get through my pride and my resistance. And so if you read this book once a week, I think it's really going to help get it into your heart and into your soul. And then when we talk about it on Sunday, I think it's really going to uh, make a lot of sense and help you to uh, soak up everything that God wants for you in this series. And so um, this book 
This book is a challenging book. In fact, um, this may be a really difficult morning for some of you. It may be a difficult series because John's intention, the writer of this book, this is the disciple of Jesus, John, is to really upset some, some people. Honestly, to upset what people believe and help them uh, be invited into what is true salvation and a true faith and to understand what it really means to be a follower of Jesus. And so this book in many ways can be very upsetting because he's going he's gonna to push on some things and challenge some things and, and really kind of make some statements that, that you or I could be really resistant to if we're not ready to hear them. And so if you're new here today, I just want to prepare you for that. This is a really challenging book. And I, I just, you get the sense as you read this that it's written by this man. And at this point, he's later in his years. This is like Grandpa John at this point. He's seen a lot of stuff. He's gone through a lot of things. He stayed faithful through really difficult times with the church. And you just sense his heart of love for people. And, and, and isn't that, if somebody's going to push you or challenge you or, or, or you're going to be in a just saying moment, don't you want it to be with somebody who actually cares about you? Like the, the goal is that they actually want to help you and it's not about them trying to prove something, but you want this to be a situation where they're trying to help you. It's, it's what's best for you. And this is what you sense in this letter as you read it, that, man, he just loves the church and he loves these people. And that in, in many ways, he's, he's scared for a certain segment of the population that would convince themselves that they love God when they don't. And I just want to push on that today, and that's really John's intention, and our intention today is to upset uh, and, and invite. It's to upset and invite, to upset what I would call a false confidence. Now, I don't know if you um, realize it, but we have false confidence in a lot of things. Um, I don't know, this is the YouTube generation, and so we see something on YouTube, we think we can do it, right? It's funny, we did our groundbreaking ceremony a few weeks ago, and uh, part of that was I jumped up on the excavator, was going to dig a big hole, and as I'm getting ready to get up on it, somebody was like, have you ever done this before? Which is a great question, you know, and I was like, I've seen it on YouTube a hundred times. I got this, right? I got this, and I've, I've run equipment before, but anyway, this, it would be easy to be like, I've seen it on YouTube, I've seen other people do it, I'm sure I got this, or, or maybe for you, when it comes to your faith, that you have a false confidence because you've been around the church for a long time. And so I just, just a show of hands real quick. How many of you grew up going to church? Just be honest. Grew up going to church? Okay, so most of the room, uh, like me, I grew up going to church. I uh, grew up on probably every other night of the week I was in the church. My parents sang in the choir, you know, so I'd be like playing in the baptismal, which was this tank behind the stage or rolling around underneath the pews of our church. And I mean, I basically grew up at the church. And here's what I want to push on is that if you're a church person, that really this, this letter, this book is going to be really challenging to especially you um, because it would be easy to develop a, a false confidence because you've gone to church your whole life. Uh, I see this in my life that there could be a, a tendency to feel like, man, Jesus loves me so much because I've gone to church forever, because I grew up in the right family, because maybe I live a, an upright and moral life as best as I can. And we think, well, you know, I'm a good person, so God must love me. And, and, and John's really going to push on what the gospel really is. That the gospel is all about God loving people who on their own are completely unlovable who on their own are completely unacceptable before a holy God, that we can do nothing to be accepted before God. And so he's going to push a little bit on our false confidence. Matthew 7, 21, this is a, a challenging passage. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, 
but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So we should read that, church people, and be a little terrified to some degree. Like we should read that and and have a, a check in our heart and go, okay, so there is a possibility that you could go to church for your entire life that you could do a lot of good things in the name of Jesus. You could even see miracles happen in the name of Jesus and stand before God one day and God say, I never knew you. You were never truly my disciple. You never truly surrendered to me. A false confidence. What is it in your mind, if you are a Christian here today, that that you would use to say, no, I know I'm saved? Like, what, what is it that you would, you would describe as, okay, this is how I know I'm saved. For a lot of people, it's, it's a prayer uh, that they prayed at one point. I remember I, I was in upstate New York on Lake Champlain when I was like six years old and at this, this camp that we were at. And on Sunday morning, they had this little kind of Bible study Sunday school thing for kids. And I remember them, them doing the little flannel graph. You guys remember flannel graphs, right? And it's like the, it's like the flames of hell and like they've got the, got the little children and they're like, ah, falling into hell. And I'm like, I don't like that. And they're like, then there's Jesus and there's the cross. And, 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 and all you have to do is you pray this prayer and, and, and you go and spend eternity with Jesus instead of burning in hell. And I was like, sign me up. Sign me up, right? I'll pray right now. And, and I, I still remember that moment. And I think it was a big moment for me in my life that I realized um, my, my necessity for a, a savior. But I don't really think I got it until later in life where I was confronted with some situations where I had to choose between what I loved and Jesus himself. And when I chose Jesus over something that I loved, I think that was the moment of salvation for me. Like, that was the moment that I was, like, really surrendering to God. And so I, I may have prayed a prayer. I don't, I don't know what that meant to me at that point. Um, not a whole lot, except for just to save myself from eternity uh, in flames, right? And, uh, and so in the end, this, this way of selling salvation um, doesn't really work. Like, hey, pray a prayer, uh, follow Jesus so that you don't go to hell. Like, it doesn't really work. It doesn't really result in a changed life. Um, it's the old adage of fire insurance, right? And uh, many people want that. And, and in fact, probably once uh, every month or two, somebody comes up to me a little frustrated, and they're like, Brian, why don't you do a sinner's prayer every week? Like, a, like an invitation to pray a prayer. And like I said, I, I, I prayed the prayer when I was a kid, and, and uh, a lot of churches do that every single week. And, and in fact, once in a while, I will stop, and I'll say, hey, if you want to follow Jesus, w- let's pray together right now. But here's what I want you to know is that there is no such specific prayer in the scriptures. That if you pray this prayer, say these words, that then you are in and then you will be saved and you'll be, you know, taken to heaven when you die. Like there's no, salvation's never talked about that, it, that way in the scriptures. It's, it's always talked about in terms of like giving up your life to follow Jesus. Uh, Jesus speaks of it like taking up a cross, which is a symbol of death of the body and giving up everything and following him. Jesus sets a very high bar, but it's always an invitation to follow. It's never just a you're in or you're out. Hey, pray this prayer so you're in. It's always a journey that you're invited to go on. And I wonder for you today, have you, have you kind of bought this whole thing? Well, I prayed a prayer, I, I got the insurance, or have you entered into a journey? Have you been on a road because that's what people did when they followed Jesus in, when he was here walking the earth. And that's the same thing today. That to be a disciple of Jesus, that we have to actually let go of this world and let go of the things that we think give us a, a sense of security. John wants to give, give us a, an invitation, 
I think, an invitation into something I would call true assurance. So he wants to upset our false confidence and invite us into true assurance. Now, what is true assurance? I would describe this as a Jesus-centered confidence in your salvation, which is made visible in your life. True assurance is a Jesus-centered confidence, not a you-centered confidence, a Christ-centered confidence in your salvation, which is made visible in your life. And I just want you to know, listen, I want that for everyone here today. I really want that for everyone here, that you would walk away here completely confident if you are a follower of Jesus, that if you didn't wake up tomorrow, that you would spend eternities with your God. And I want us all to believe that and to know that. Hebrews 10, says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed pure with water. You can actually come to God with a true assurance with total confidence that he is a father that loves you, that wants the best for you. You don't have to be afraid of God. You can honor him and love him and draw near to him today, feeling purified and clean of everything that you've done and everywhere that you've been. But I would say that in many uh, churches, we don't talk a lot about assurance. Um, and, And here's the thing. I honestly think that assurance, can, if, you, if you dangle it out in front of people, sort of like a carrot, uh, you can manipulate them. And so let me describe it this way. So I, uh, I was doing marriage counseling with a couple at one point a while ago, and they were struggling with, uh, with each other and with some things that they were going through. And um, I sat down with a husband later on, and uh, he was really frustrated. He's like, I just can't get her to do what I tell her to do. <laughs> and so I'm like, all right. Preach it. There you go. <laughs> You're going to have a conversation later, aren't you? Yep. Oh, yeah. And that's the thing. It's like, okay, so I can't get another human being to do what I want them to do. That's all of our problem, right? And so he, this is what he said. He said, here's the problem. I think, I think I figured it out. I think the problem is that she's too confident that I'll never leave her. And I was like, oh, where do we begin? Right? Um, and I get that. I understand that to some degree, right? I mean, don't we sometimes have a temptation when people don't do, maybe people in our family or people we love don't do what we want them to do, that we should dangle our love out in front of them like some kind of way of manipulating them to get them to do what we want them to do, right? I mean, do you really think that your wife can feel too loved? Do you really think that your husband can feel too loved? Do you really think that your friends and your family could feel too loved? I am just so grateful we don't have a God that thinks the way that we do. I'm just so grateful that God doesn't hang our salvation out in front of us like, like it may be there, it may not be there, just do what I want you to do and then maybe I'll give it to you. I, if you think about it, because I think a lot of us have bought this form of salvation, like we, we can't ever really know. Um, if you think about it, like that would be a really difficult life. I mean, you're just constantly earning and striving. I mean, that is not the gospel. I want you to know that. That is not good news at all. Like, Like, God might love you if you do enough good stuff, but don't screw it up and hope for heaven. I mean, that's terrible news. That's not the gospel. Because we're going to screw it up. And we're going to mess it up. And so then we're always wondering. And I want you to know this today, that, that love never thrives in uncertainty. Love never thrives in uncertainty. In any relationship, that this man, he had this feeling like, man, I could, I could fix this by giving a little uncertainty. No, you need to give more certainty. 
in any loving relationship, giving them the certainty that you will love them no matter what they do is how you create a thriving relationship. And it's no different than between us and God. God doesn't want us to wonder. He wants us to know beyond the shadow of, of a doubt that if we didn't wake up tomorrow, we would spend eternity with him. Here's the problem. Many of us don't know that. Many of us don't know that. Some recent surveys I was looking at said that four out of five people in the U.S. would actually, if they were pinned down, call themselves Christians. Which is a really high number, but then, you know, the surveyors, they went a little deeper and they're like, well, what's it mean to be like a born-again Christian? Or to, to, to believe specifically in, in all of the scriptures and to trust that and, and kind of added some other stipulations. And that was about half of those people, so about 50% would say that. But I would say even fewer of those people, and, and I, I guess take a survey of yourself in the room, do you honestly feel like your life is that dramatically different than the lives of your friends who don't know Jesus? Because as we see salvation and discipleship spoken about in the scriptures, as Jesus talks about it, as Paul talks about it, as we're challenged by John in what it means to actually be a disciple of Jesus, everything's different. I mean, it's dramatically different. The way that you live is different. The purpose of your life is different. The way that you treat people is different. And so at some point, we all have to kind of look at that and go, I think I need to test my heart. I think, I think I need to test my heart. Paul says that, hey, test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. And he says, if you have the spirit of God in you, I think Romans 8 says the spirit of God will attest to our spirit that we are believers, that we are followers of Jesus. And so we can know. And I just, I want for us to have a certainty that is not a, a false certainty, but is actually a true assurance of real salvation in our lives. So if you want to open up to the book of John, uh, uh, 1 John, sorry, 1 John today, and you can follow along with us in this scripture, we're just going to go through the first four verses today and really try to answer this question, how can I know that I know Jesus? How can I know that I know Jesus? It's a little bit like we, uh, we just recently got a new bank account and uh, when you get a new bank account, you set up all this stuff online, There's nothing does, nothing in paper anymore, and, and then you get your login and when you log in for the first time, it's always got the, the, the verification check, right? And, and for me lately, it's the boxes with the pictures. And they're like, click how many boxes have the picture of the sign in them, right? So you're trying to see this one, this one, this one. And then it goes to the next screen. And then they ask you questions like, like about yourself. And they know things about you that you've never told anyone which is crazy. It's like they know where you lived when you were three years old. You know, they know like your mother's mother's maiden name and things like that. And I'm like, where do they get all this stuff? But the whole goal is to find out if you actually are who you say you are. And so wouldn't it be great if you could leave here today knowing beyond the shadow of a doubt that you are who you say you are. That if you would say, I am a Christian, that you know that today. Like, that, that'd, be good, that'd be good to know that, right? I, the good news is you can, and that as we read the scriptures, and no one can tell this for you, like, you're the only one that can know. You're the only one that can really know when you leave here if you are truly a follower of Jesus. Because I'll tell you, if you try to tell whether or not I'm a Christian, it, it would just depend on the day that you saw me, right? I mean, you could see me at certain times and be like, that man does not know Jesus. Look at him. Look at the way he's speaking to his children, right? Look at, look at that guy. Like, he can't possibly have ever gone to church in his life. But then on other days, you'd be like, oh, yeah, disciple of Jesus, right? You just can't, 
You can't know, and, and the good news is we were never called to, 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 to judge this for other people, but to judge this for ourselves and to know, like, are we in the faith? Do we truly know God? And as you walk through the, the book of 1 John, what you're going to see is that John is, he's a different kind of writer. Um, he's a little bit like a spiderweb writer. Uh, any of you, when you have conversations, do you spiderweb? You're like, hey, you know, I was walking down the, day with my, uh, the street with my husband the other day, and then, like, we saw a, a guy with a dog, and I kind of want to get a dog. Do you like dogs? Dogs eat a lot of food. My kids eat food. I love my kids. And you start, you know, like, spiderweb. This is John. John's like point one, point seven, point three, point two, point eight, and he just bounces around, but we're going to focus in today on what it truly means to be in the family of God. First John chapter 1, verse 1 says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. John stop, starts this, and you don't want to miss this, that he's affirming that Jesus was there from the beginning. In other words, he's affirming that Jesus was God. He wasn't a, a created being. He wasn't uh, some other God. He was God himself, part of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, always existing together in perfect unity. Verse 2, he says, The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. So what John is starting off with is he's saying, hey, I have seen God at work. And what I'm attesting to you and, and wanting you to believe was actually seen, made manifest before me. Like I actually saw Jesus before my eyes. I see the work of God throughout the church. John is actually talking about his own testimony and, and, and this idea that God is actually at work in a visible way. So the first thing I want you to write down is this salvation comes through a real encounter with the risen Jesus. I want to ask you today, have you had a real encounter with the risen Jesus? Like, like personally, not your family member, not somebody else, but have you personally, and, and, and if we sat down for coffee today, if I just took you out to coffee after church today, could you say, yeah, Brian, this is, this is when and how I've encountered Jesus. Could you articulate it specifically for yourself? As Jesus walked the streets, he was constantly encountering people who didn't really know a lot about him, didn't know why he was there or what he was doing there. Uh, maybe they were crippled on a street corner or, you know, maybe they were living a life in, in prostitution and, and selling their bodies to make money. Maybe they were struggling just to get by. And they see this man and he is, he, he's healing people and helping people and they're like, I want some of that, Right? In fact, in John 9.24, or 9.25, it says, he replied, whether he is a sinner or not, because this was an accusation made of Jesus, that he was just a, a, a sinner, saying that he was God, when he actually was, says, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. But one thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. And I love that. He's like, I, I don't know this, the details of this guy. Um, and some of you might be here today and you're in the same boat. You're like, Brian, you told me to read the Bible for myself earlier and honestly, I've never read the Bible or maybe it's been weeks or months or even years since you've actually cracked open a, a Bible and read it for yourself. Maybe if I were to talk to you about your theology and, and what you believe salvation really is, you wouldn't be able to articulate it very well. 
Um, if I started asking you deep questions about Jesus, you'd be a little concerned that you would have answers to those questions. But you might truly be in the family of God because you're like, listen, I, I know I need to take some steps and I know I need to grow and I know I need to learn and I know there's a lot that I, I don't understand, but here's what I know. I was blind, but now I see. I have a story of an, a real encounter with the risen Jesus. He has changed my life and I can see it specifically. You see, belief in Jesus is not merely a crutch to help us make sense of the world. It's true because Jesus is actually alive in our midst. And a lot of people, there's this common belief today that Christianity is just like, you know, something to believe in. And what's interesting is a lot of people want something to believe in. They want to believe in some kind of God. Have you guys seen the video floating around this week of Chris Pratt at the MTV Awards? Everybody seen that? It's interesting. He, he, he kind of alludes to God a couple of times. And what's so interesting when you watch that video is how the crowd cheers. I'm like, they're cheering for God? And then he makes this kind of vague allusion to the atonement of Jesus at the end that like, hey, you were, your grace was paid for with a price and, and so, so don't abuse it. Use it like a receive grace. And everybody's like, woo! And I'm going, what? Like they're freaking out about this because inside of us is this like desire to receive grace, right? We all know we need it. And we all know we need to believe in, in, in something. But there's this feeling, I think, out there that Christianity, the belief in Jesus, is just something else to believe in. It's something to, it's like a warm blanket on a cold night to make your soul feel better when you've screwed up all week long. When Jesus is truly alive because he was, we believe it because he was truly alive. He actually lived and we see him at work in, in visible ways in our lives. I mean, anybody can create a religion. In fact, you can create, you, you guys all go out after church today. You can go online. You can actually do this. And you can make your own religion. You can fill out the forms. You can get your own 501c3. You can start, don't do it, but you could start <laughs> your own religion. And, and anybody can do that. And people like that, that I know that don't uh, believe in Jesus are like, why do you do it? And you know, what, what is it that you believe? And let me just tell you, if I were to create a religion, I would make up something completely different. It'd be, there'd be no like dying to self involved, you know. I would, definitely wouldn't be, you know, generous and giving money away. It, it definitely wouldn't be about serving other people. It'd be about everybody gets to serve me, you know. I mean, that would be my religion. Everybody, you're here for me, right? I mean, that's what we, we tend to do in and of ourselves, but that's not what this is. It's not just something to believe in. John is like, listen, what's, what I'm speaking about here is true because I've seen it. It's true because it's real and Jesus is actually alive. Verse three says, that which we have seen and heard uh, we, pro we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. So this word fellowship is, it's only used four times by John, and it's, it's the Greek word koinonia. Koinonia. So John is like, I'm speaking this to you because I want to have fellowship with you. I want to have fellowship with you. And this kind of fellowship, this is deeper than friendship. I want to draw a distinction because as Christians, we throw this word around all the time. I've never heard a friend of mine say, bro, want to come over and watch a football? We'll have some fellowship together. It just doesn't happen. But Christian people do. We use the term all the time, and we use it the same way we use uh, the word friendship. But I want you to know this is different. 
than friendship. This is a deep commonality. It's, it's, a, it's a oneness in belief and in purpose. It, it's to participate in something together. This is what koinonia is, and this is what John wants for those who are reading this, is a koinonia, is a, a deeper relationship and fellowship. But then he speaks about how he wants you to have that with Jesus. And so write this down. To be saved is to have koinonia with Jesus. To have koinonia with Jesus. Fellowship. Deep relationship with Jesus. And so this, once again, is a verification test. It's a litmus test for our salvation. I want want you to ask yourself, do I seek this kind of unity and relationship with other people? Because if if we've received the love of God, then we're going to share life with other people. It's just what we're going to do. It's our natural overflow from receiving love from God will cause us to love other people and share life with them. So for you, do you isolate? Do you tend to, to, to step away from God's people? Or do you seek not just a friendship, but a koinonia, oneness in relationship with God's people? Because this is something saved people do. And, and beyond that is this type of relationship with God himself. I think too many of us have settled and we thought, well, I can just sort of be a, a friend of God You know, like I'm just sort of his buddy and we hang out on the weekends and spend time together now and then. But you wouldn't say that there's this depth of relationship with God. And if you took an audit of your life, would you be able to see that you're trying to to, to get a deeper relationship with God? That That you wake up in the morning and you think, before I'm gonna check my cell phone for notifications on Instagram or for, you know, news articles or how my stocks did this morning. Like before I do any of that, I want to get to know my, my friend. I want to get to know my God. I'm going to spend a few minutes praying. I'm going to spend a few minutes reading his word. Like, like getting, because that's how I know I can hear from him, is right in his word. So many people say, God doesn't speak to me. Are you reading the scriptures? Because he wants to. It's right here. And I just, you guys, listen, as a church, I feel convicted that, that we don't pray well. Um, this is just something this week as I was preparing this that I'm like, man, uh, I feel like we need, to, we need to pray better. And then I thought, well, maybe we need more like prayer ministry and prayer this and that. And, and here's the reality is, is that prayer comes from the heart of somebody who believes that it works. Like we can come up with prayer ministries. We can do a 40-day fast. We can have all kinds of prayer opportunities as a church, which, you know, Christians love to do. But if you don't believe that prayer actually somehow moves the hand of God, then you just won't do it. And so another litmus test for believers is, do you pray like your life depends on it? Do you pray like that? Like, so Wednesday night, we actually took a a break from what we were typically teaching on this week. Um, Did you guys see in the news that a man was mauled by a bear in Eagle River, was killed? Um, And that happened just Wednesday afternoon. I didn't know the family personally. I knew some people uh, who do know them. And so we kind of changed what we were doing that night and decided to spend the first 10 minutes of my message just circling up and praying. And so everybody in the room was splitting up in circles, just praying for this family, praying for people who are grieving and mourning. This is a small community. uh, And things that happen uh, affect us all. And as Christians and believers in Jesus, our first reflex when confronted with pain and hurt is to pray. It's just what we do. We don't care if we know him. We don't care what's going on. We just believe that God is at work. And that as, as believers, that we're to mourn with those who mourn and grieve with those who grieve. 
and enter into that, even if just in a small way, with other people. And so I want to ask you today, do you pray like that? Like when you pray, do you believe that God is going to do something? It may not be what you wanted him to do, but he's going to do something. And that he's going to hear you. And he's actively listening to the prayers of his people. I think saved people pray. And they pray like, like their lives depend on it. How about serving? Do you serve? Do you look for ways to serve other people? I think so many people wonder why they don't feel close to God. And the first thing, whenever somebody comes up to me and they're like, Brian, I don't feel like God's there. I feel like he's distant. The first thing I always tell them, you need to go be part of Urban Mission. You need to go downtown and serve some hot dogs to some homeless people and just listen to them. You need to serve somebody. And what's interesting is when you serve, Jesus is close. Matthew 25, 30 says, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. You did it to me. I think maybe the reason God seems so far away is because he's with the needy and the hurting and you avoid those situations. You don't want to be around that. It brings you down. It's difficult. It's awkward. But if you want to be with Jesus, it seems like that's where Jesus always is. So do you serve like Jesus served? Verse four, continuing on, says, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. So how do you know that you're saved? This is the last thing. Saved people seek people who need saving. John seems to be lacking a certain joy because he knows that there are people who think that they're saved when they're not. And those who need assurance of their salvation, they need to know beyond the shadow of a doubt that they're saved. They're they're living a life of uncertainty in their love for and with God. And so because of that, their love is not thriving. So John wants that for them. He has a heart to see those people do that. And I just want you to know this today. I I think this is a huge thing for the church today in America. Uh, We are so comfortable. I mean, you didn't have to think twice about going to church today. Maybe you did. You're like, I got five kids. I thought twice. Trust me, bro. Maybe you thought twice. But listen, it is nothing like our brothers and sisters in China. It is nothing like our brothers and sisters in in other countries where they're being persecuted in a deep, deep way uh, for their faith in Jesus. We are so comfortable. And I I honestly think this. I I think it's more dangerous that you would have a false confidence in your salvation than you would walk out of here knowing that you're not saved at all. It's actually more dangerous that we are comfortably doing these these Christian-like things, convincing ourselves that we're saved when we're not. That's more dangerous than just being like, no, Brian, I don't believe in Jesus. I don't actually believe this stuff. So the false confidence is something we need to to rid ourselves of. And, And I'm probably upsetting some of you today, but I guess that's my point. But you don't have to leave upset, and maybe you do. Maybe you need to leave here upset and be like, that guy questioned my salvation, and that's fine. Um, I hope you do something with that. My prayer is that you, you, you lay in bed tonight and that God stirs that up in you and that you're able to have an answer for that. Once again, that's not my job. It's not my job to tell, but you should know. And God wants you to know. And you really can know that you are in the family of God. Saved people seek out people who need saving. John is doing this because he wants people to be saved. I wonder if that's you. Jesus says, hey, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. 
That's what Jesus said. That was his calling to his disciples. Come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And it seems to me that disciples, in a biblical sense, they just go fishing. <laughs> You're like, check that one off the list. It's at the Kenai this weekend. No, listen, like disciples go fishing. That's what they do. A natural overflow of somebody who loves Jesus and has been saved from their sins is that they seek out those who need saving. When's the last time you just invited a friend to church? When's the last time you risked the awkwardness in the relationship that you told somebody, this is what I do for a couple hours on Sunday mornings, you know? I mean, when is the last time that you invited them to serve with you and to, 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 to be on this journey with you? I, I want to push you, like, if you don't take great joy in other people's salvation, you have reason to question your own. We just, we baptized 32 people in the past couple weeks. And for me, like, I get all jacked up and excited about that. And I think for me, that's an that's a affirmation that the love of God is inside of me. And I want to ask you, like, when, when somebody comes out of the tank after they get baptized and they're professing their love for God, are you, is there anything that stirs inside of you? I mean, you don't have to be like a maniac. <laughs> like, Brian, that's just not me. That's fine. But when people start clapping, are you like, I guess this is when we clap now at church? Or is there something in you that just sees a human being going from death to life that takes great joy in that? John says, for my joy to be complete, I want you to experience the saving knowledge and grace of Jesus. There's something missing in John's life. Like, I want you to think about that with people in our city, thousands of people walking around every day that don't know anything about Jesus. Is there some part of your joy that's missing? I think, there's, I think there should be. I think as the church, there's a part of our joy that, that, that's missing that and yearning for that, that needs to step out and be a part of that. And so I don't know where you're at today. Maybe you're like, Brian, um, thanks for the help. <laughs> now I'm not so sure. You can do something about that. You see, as the scriptures speak about salvation, it's so much less about praying a prayer and so much more about surrendering your life to Jesus. It's about repenting and believing the gospel. And I love this. I'm going to close with this. Psalm 32. This is David, who, who is a man who understood sin, who's a man who had his own demons he was fighting and his own struggles. And he says this in verse 1, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Selah. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and listen, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. Rest. I love that David says, blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. He didn't say blessed is the man whom has no iniquity. So don't hear me today hearing me preach perfection. You're going to screw it up just like I always do. But there is a moment that you step from being somebody who has iniquity that is counted against you to being somebody who has iniquity that is not counted against you. 
and where you step onto this process and this journey. And I, I want you to know that God wants to heal you and restore you. And that thing that you've always struggled with, God wants to heal you from that. Whether it be today or in eternity, God will heal all wounds. He will. So that's our promise from God. And David takes great joy in the fact that he confessed and he confronted his heart before God and he humbled himself before God and he accepted the gospel as something he could never earn and he rejected his false confidence. But he can have a true assurance in his faith because God will forgive those who come to him and confess. And you can do that today. And again, it's not a magical prayer. It's a decision you make in your heart to receive the grace that you could never earn, to chase after Jesus and to receive him for who he is, not as fire insurance, not as a way to get out of hell. What if this whole thing was less about follow Jesus so you can get saved, but it was more about follow Jesus so you can get Jesus? What if he's enough? And then there's salvation. It's a free gift that comes with your pursuit and receiving God for who he is. You can be assured today, you can rest in peace today, no matter what happens next. You can actually, through this true repentance, know that you are saved. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much that you don't want to leave us wondering. That you don't love us with an imperfect love like we love each other. But you want us to have a true, full assurance of our faith. I want to pray for the person here today who walked in with a false confidence. Um, I want to pray for the person who's maybe a little upset. God, I pray that you would do a work through your spirit. The work that you promised to do in the hearts who, of those who are wondering what their next step is. I pray for the person here today who should be upset who is not. God, for the person who has felt a false confidence, who still is in this moment of, of rejecting the truth in their lives, God, that they'd be ready to receive it. But God, that your loving hand would be upon them. God, they, they would know how to move forward and they would take the difficult step. Father, I feel like so many people today are sitting on, on the edge of a cliff, ready to step off into this life of love with their God, but just have never making that, made that, that step, made that commitment. And I, God, I just pray that we could do that with our whole hearts. That it wouldn't be belief in a prayer, but it would be belief in you and what you want to do in our lives. God, for those here today who always wonder if you love them, who are always feeling like when they screw up, God, that, that maybe you're, you're walking away from them, that today could be the day that they receive your love for what it is. A free gift. Something that, that thank God we can't earn it, because thank God we can't lose it. So I, I pray we could know that today as well. And Father, as we worship in the next few moments, that you would wake up our hearts, wake up our sleeping souls to a deep love for you and for the world around us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Love you guys.